0: Bring in show music, please.
1: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, 20 years finally at an end.
2: It was time to end this war.
1: That might be over, but the pandemic is not. Kids are heading back to school, COVID cases among them are ticking up, and vaccines are still not quite ready for them. President of the American Academy of Pediatrics, Dr. Lee Savio-Beers.
3: It never was just a disease for adults, but now we're seeing so many cases that that we really are seeing the impact on children.
1: And I don't know about you, but we're still working from home. CEOs are pushing back the return to office, but overall, it's not all bad news in the C-suite. Chair and CEO of KPMG, Paul Knopp.
0: There is a great degree of resilience, and I think we're feeling really good about how the vaccines are responding to the virus. CEOs are very optimistic about the future.
1: It's Wednesday, September 1st, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now.
0: Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue please.
1: Good morning. Welcome to
4: Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is on vacation today. It's September 1st. You know that what that means, that we've just finished this month, so we should take a look at how the markets actually performed for the month of August. If you were watching, you saw that the Dow gained 1.2 percent. That would be its sixth positive month in the last seven. The S&P was up by 2.9 percent, logging seven straight months of gains. And then the Nasdaq was up 4 percent for the month. Russell 2000 small cap index, it outperformed yesterday. But uh, for the month, it was up by 2.1 percent. And despite a decline of 1.1 percent in yesterday's session, the Dow Transports finished the month higher by 1.4 percent. Now, the Transports are still more than 9 percent from their all-time high. But if you look at the financials, they were the best performers in August, up by 5 percent. Energy stocks were the worst performers and the only sector declined for the month as well. I don't know if you were watching yesterday, Joe. We, we didn't see new records for the S&P and the Nasdaq. It would have been the 13th record for the month uh, for the S&P. Fell shut, just short of that, but stocks didn't fall by too much. You had the S&P down by about six points. And were you watching the Nasdaq? Because it was down by 6.66.
2: Um, I, I didn't see that, that, that final close. Yeah. That, there were some other things uh, that I was watching yesterday, as a matter of fact, which we'll, we'll talk about. Uh, in a second, and how it might impact the business world, finance. Because we got well, we couldn't. Poss- no, I mean we couldn't possibly. We don't need to enter the fray uh, of of how we uh, characterize what we've seen over the past couple of weeks. That's not that's not what we do. But there is quite a bit of uh, commentary on on what we've seen, and and these are these are big things. The, the, The black and white shot of the or the the greenish uh, sort of shot of uh, infrared of the final final soldier that that's going to be like what we've seen. You know, that's going to be one of the most iconic shots, I think, of what I mean, it's a 20 year um, saga that is ending. So, you know, this is going to be one of those things that maybe our kids, kids read about someday. Right. right. I, don't, I don't know how they'll be, maybe it'll be implanted into their brains by then or something. Maybe reading will be out, but uh, hopefully yeah. not.
4: Hopefully not. Yeah.
2: This uh, is what I was watching yesterday. President Biden addressing the nation. He defended his decision to end the U.S. war in Afghanistan after nearly 20 years of conflict, saying the era of U.S. nation building is over. We succeeded in what we set out to do in Afghanistan over a decade ago. Then we stayed for another decade. It was time to end this war. Let me be clear. Leaving August the 31st is not due to an arbitrary deadline. It was designed to save American lives. I was not going to extend this forever war. And I was not extending a forever exit. President Biden uh, vowed to defend the U.S. Uh, against evolving threats from terrorist groups such as ISIS without getting involved in another uh, ground war. Let's see the next story you were going to talk about. We were just going to go, just leave it at that and move on. And I, I just figure I, I did. I, I was watching it. I don't know what did, were you watching yeah. when this happened. Did you see the end? I thought in kind of a, I, I, you know, nothing about that speech was funny, and nothing about the whole situation mm-hmm. is funny. But. He turned around to the president and was leaving, and there were dozens of questions being shouted at him. And at one point, he, he, he turned around, and he turned around, and he walked back to the podium, and, and everyone thought the same thing. He's going to answer questions. He's going to take a few questions. And he picked up his mask and turned around and left. Were you watching it at the end to see that yeah, part? But, um... Didn't you think he was coming back to, to field a few Questions, but but uh, no. Anyway, we, we have a fair, a free and fair press in this country, and sometimes I don't, maybe I don't like it, but other times I I do like it. And the journal has a take today. Maybe I should I if I tweet it out and retweets are not endorsements, is that possible to just tweet out the maybe the some of the commentary on on what we saw yesterday, or or it, should I just because it does affect. Uh, the next three and a half years, that's the, the last point that the, the sure. journal makes, is that the next three and a half years are going to be something to behold. But uh, I
4: don't think anybody questions that. I think people have been thinking that for the last couple of so weeks, if like we do watch I, this unfold. Do I tweet
2: it out for people that don't have a subscription to the journal, or do, do I just not tweet it out? I'm not going to tweet out the New York Times, so maybe I, that, it's not unfair for me to just tweet out one side. What do you think? I, um,
4: I, I think you are allowed to express your personal expressions on, on Twitter. On so, Twitter? Yeah. All
2: right. Are you go ahead, go ahead then I'm going
4: you get busy with that? <laughs> and we'll get back to this. i
2: I'm going to think about it. I'm, I'm gonna, I don't, you know, sometimes I, I feel like having a relaxing day, uh, and I don't feel like really? seeing some of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Yesterday, I, I, one of the reasons I said I was watch, there was supposed to be a, a, a baseball game on. did you see? I, I it, thought
4: that's what you were going to be talking about. Honestly. I know,
2: but it got canceled unceremoniously because of I think we're going to see the effects of Ida later today I we think, are here yeah, yeah and i think it was in cincinnati uh yesterday the reds were supposed to uh supposed to play but or was it the mets were supposed to? i somewhere I, I had a game that i was planning to watch and i i was unable to, it did it, it was not on today there's a bunch of them on just in case you're wondering
4: and it's supposed to rain today too though so we'll see oh
2: my god later it's supposed to be you know flood warning all kinds yeah. of stuff uh, happening in in pennsylvania new jersey new york all around here that's right
1: You can check for yourself if Joe retweeted his morning reads. Catch him on Twitter, at Joe Squawk. And you know what? Go ahead and send him a tweet. Were you going to watch that baseball game too? Or maybe bet on it? Let him know. While you do that, here's what's coming up on this podcast.
3: There needs to be an urgency um, in the way that we approach the, the authorization of vaccines for the younger kids. Of course, absolutely we need to also follow very clear and, and thoughtful safety procedures, but but we think that both of those things can be done at the same
1: time. President of the American Academy of Pediatrics, Dr. Lee Savio Beers, when SquawkPod returns.
5: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
1: This is Squawk Pod.
2: Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. Live from the Nasdaq Market site in Times Square, I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick.
4: Pediatric COVID cases are currently on the rise as the Delta variant continues to spread across the country, affecting many children who are unvaccinated as they return back to school. Cases in children are up over five times what they were earlier in July, and child hospitalizations because of COVID are at an all-time high. Joining us right now to talk more about this is Dr. Lee Savio-Beers, the president of the American Academy of Pediatrics. And Dr. Beers, thank you for being here this morning.
3: Thank you so much for having me to talk about this really important issue. Uh, this isn't just a disease for adults anymore, is it? Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, really, it never was just a disease for adults, but now we're seeing so many cases that, that we really are seeing the impact on children.
4: With that backdrop, are are you surprised that the FDA is asking for more information about the clinical trials and and expanding those trials for kids who are ages five to twelve before they'll approve the vaccine for them?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I, this is this is something that we think really needs to be approached with a lot of urgency, given given the the sheer number of children affected by COVID, um, particularly with the spread of the Delta. Delta variant, you know, there just there needs to be an urgency um, in the way that we approach the, the authorization of vaccines for the younger kids. Of course, absolutely we need to also follow very clear and, and thoughtful safety procedures, but, but we think that both of those things can be done at the same time.
4: Yeah, the data I think for Pfizer, and this has been a moving timeline. I, I, as the mother of, of two young kids, I was a little concerned. I, I thought maybe we'd be getting these vaccines by late September, early October. Then the timeline sort of changed to late winter, or early to late winter, potentially, depending on where we'd see it. Where, where do you think things stand right now? What are you hearing?
3: Yeah, it's, you know, we're hearing a lot of the same things you are, um, you know, we've heard estimates from, you know, as early as Halloween to as late as early winter. You know, we, of course, really hope for the earlier timeline. And, and we've also heard that uh, at least one of the manufacturers will be ready to submit their data by the end of the month. So that's that's really encouraging to us. So we're we're hopeful it will be on the earlier end of that timeline. Um, but but of course, you know, we'll we'll have to wait and see what that data looks like. Right. Uh, the CDC
4: is, is taking a kind of unusual step and is basically threatening doctors saying that they cannot prescribe uh, these vaccines off label for kids ages under 12. Um, And I understand that you want to see the data first. If you were able to see that data next month, would that maybe make you feel better about off label prescriptions at that point?
3: Yeah, you know, we we also do not recommend off label prescriptions for for uh, you know off off label use of the vaccine for children less than twelve. And and the biggest reason really is safety. Just we know that during the trials um, we are using actually smaller doses of the vaccine for children. Right. And, and until until we see and know that you know we we really have to make sure you know we we are we we feel urgency about it, but we also need to make sure it's done safely.
4: What are you seeing right now, just in terms of hospitalizations? You think this is the Delta variant is more virulent? Is this a situation where um, it, it's going to just spread more quickly among unvaccinated? But we're, we're also seeing breakthrough cases, too. And I think that's a game changer.
3: Yeah, it is. And, and it's a very good question. You know, I, I think, of course, as you probably know and have seen throughout this, you know, the, the data around hospitalization sometimes lags a tiny little bit behind data of cases. So it's it's a little bit hard to know if Delta is a truly a more severe disease in kids or if it's just that, you know, just like in adults, the more people who are effect, the more kids who are affected, the more who are going to get severe disease. But what we are seeing is is really dramatic increases in cases and really dramatic increases in hospitalizations. And I think this is particularly true in some of the states, um, you know, largely in the South and, and Midwest where, where we're seeing surges. And in those places, you know, we're seeing, you know, pediatric hospitals are running out of beds. Um, you know, kids are having to, to wait long times to be seen. You know, it's, it's really putting a tremendous stress on the healthcare care system, uh, as well as we're also seeing just a whole lot of sick kids there.
4: I know the American Academy of Pediatrics is is recommending that kids do go back to school in person. Um, Obviously, there was a a lot of um, mental grief that was caused by not being in schools last year. Um, What do you say about doing that in areas where uh, there's not a very high vaccination pickup and uh, masks are not mandatory or maybe
3: not even allowed? Yeah, you know, we we have guidance on this that that actually we've had all throughout the pandemic, which really focuses in on, on the point that you just made, which is that it is really essential for whenever we can to get kids into in-person school. I think one of the things we've also learned over the past year is that we can do that safely, even in areas of high spread, but it does, it does require mitigation measures in the school. And so, you know, our strong recommendation is that that we need to do everything we can to get kids back into school safely and what that involves. Is universal masking for children and adults over the age of two. Good ventilation, um, some sort of regular testing protocol that can vary depending on the on the school district. Um, you know, physical distancing, keeping kids you know a little bit distanced where you can, um, where the space allows. And so, putting all those things together and layering those things together, we can get kids back to school safely. Um, but as adults, we need to we need to do our part to make sure we're creating a safe environment for our kids.
4: What's your biggest concern right now with the Delta variant? With the um issues in the the higher pediatric hospitalizations that we've seen.
3: Well, I, you know, many concerns, you know, I, I'm concerned about about our kids who are getting sick um, and also knowing that that many of those kids actually are over the age of 12. And those are, are illnesses that could have been prevented uh, with a vaccine. So that's that's one concern. I'm absolutely also concerned with the impact that this can have on families. Um, you know, this is going to be the case with Delta. It's been the case all along. You know, we, we have tens of thousands of kids in the United States who've actually lost a caregiver to COVID. Um, and so that's a concern as well. And and then I think lastly, I'm really concerned about our health systems. As I said, particularly in these areas where we're seeing big surges, um, you know, the, the health systems are getting overwhelmed, and, and our healthcare providers, our, our physicians, our pediatricians are getting overwhelmed too. Dr.
4: Beers, I want to thank you for your time today. We appreciate it.
3: Thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm.
2: Cheese will be next.
1: Next on SquawkPod, a C-suite survey and executives who keep pushing back the return to the office. KPMG Chair and CEO, Paul Knopp.
0: What our survey found was that CEOs are so really confident over the next three years about their own prospects for growth, the domestic economy, and growing confidence actually in the global economy.
1: We'll be right back.
5: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, Packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx Service Guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
1: Welcome back to Squawk Pod, this morning with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. Here's Becky.
4: Google is pushing off its return to office date until January 10th of 2022. In an email to employees yesterday, the CEO, Sundar Pichai, said beyond January 10th, we will enable countries and locations to make determinations on when to end voluntary work from home based on local conditions, which vary greatly across our office. Pichai also said that employees will receive a 30-day notice before they're expected to come back to the office.
2: Sticking with uh, this topic, professional services firm KPMG surveyed 400 of some of the, uh, of the CFOs of some of the largest companies in the U.S. and compiled their findings on a range of topics, including uh, the future of work. Uh, joining us now to discuss more is Paul Knopp, KPMG U.S. Chair and uh, CEO. It's good to see you, Paul, and, and uh, you know we're looking out three years uh, in, in this survey. That's tough uh, right now. What, what, what are the assumptions that we're making about the next three years? Because we're, we're right back in the soup in terms of uh, the Delta variant and, and what's right in front of uh, corporate managers face right now is, is the pandemic or COVID again.
0: Absolutely, Joe, good morning. It's good to be with you today. Yes, you know, what our survey found was that CEOs are so really confident over the next three years about their own prospects for growth, the domestic economy and growing confidence actually in the global economy from the last survey we also found that there was a high appetite for m a strategic growth opportunities and companies continue to digitize you know joe that also comes in the face of a lot of uncertainty right now with not only COVID 19 as you mentioned but the uh, future tax changes that'll come on both the global stage and in the u.s supply chain disruption cyber issues incidents Those are really serious issues that we're facing into. But despite that fact, you know, CEOs are are remaining very confident. And when you mentioned the future of work, you know, we saw that CEOs named as their top operational priority. That was the employee value proposition. We're all very hyper-focused right now on our people, in our organizational cultures.
2: So many, things go into the calculus now post pandemic. And I was just listening to everything you're saying. Yes, supply chain that, that related to the pandemic, but also related to, uh, you know, we haven't built up certain um, capabilities in this country. And we, we got to do that uh, uh, probably again. Uh, companies have flourished during the pandemic, which which sort of gave everybody, some companies, a blueprint on how to deal with th- things like this and and are they better prepared prepared do they feel better prepared if if we continue to see variants and and this situation i think they know how to handle it and maybe uh, you know man, uh,
0: successfully maneuver through these times joe i think that's correct uh, companies have proven to be very resilient you know i think we're very optimistic about the vaccines but that digitization effort that companies were undertaking before the pandemic and have really rapidly intensify their efforts to digitize their business models, their business processes. I think CEOs are feeling really confident about how they're able to do business in a more digital economy as we move forward in the future. And of course, that presents some challenges as I mentioned earlier. There'll be questions around how digital uh, transactions are taxed, but there is a great degree of resilience. And I think we're feeling really good about how the vaccines are responding to the virus. I, I realize that we're in a difficult situation right now. But I think they are CEOs are very optimistic about the future. But
2: now we know how value, uh, how valuable, uh, employees are. Given how some companies are having a lot of trouble getting them back, so you said that, that that and that may entail letting people work remotely for a while to to, to feel safe. With you know, because it's not either or with with the vaccine, as we're finding out right now. There's still, you know, people are still going to want to wear masks. They're still going to want to socially distance. Yeah. Distance and there's still going to be some remote work. And I guess you need to be more accepting of, of that if you want
0: to retain key employees. No doubt about it, Joe. Flexibility is the operative word. It's a red hot labor market. There's a lot of employee burnout still in today's environment. There's a lot of disruption from remote work. We need to have more shared office space in the future. We need to have more flexible time for our employees. And we talk a lot about this hybrid environment but we're still trying to really design that hybrid environment for a future ready purpose. You know, I think a lot of us will experiment with what that entails as we move forward into the future. No doubt about it though, it's going to involve a lot more remote work and probably a lot more flexible space that might be closer to people's homes. Now, CEOs also reported Joe, that they want to see employees come back to the offices from time to time to collaborate and create ideas that's going to be very important as we move forward into the future. The, the employees that have returned to our office from time to time have really reported being very happy to see their colleagues. And I, I think that there's going to be a real mix or a hybrid approach for many years into the future. Really?
2: They're happy. Uh, no, 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 I'm kidding. I, I, I get happy. Um, uh, um, the, the, you mentioned something that I want you to drill down on, and that is the... Uh, that you're thinking the CEOs are thinking about the tax implications that they we're hearing. And I wonder if we go to 28 uh, percent corporate tax and if we have a new global minimum tax for, for companies that, that, that operate all around the world, are they thinking about those things? Is that is that likely? Will that be a, a headwind in terms of of margins? And is it something to prepare for?
0: Joe, absolutely. We, we are helping companies scenario plan using visualization, visualization tools, technology tools, to look at the various scenarios. You know, there are gonna be interdependencies between the global minimum tax, the taxes in the US that likely will increase under the Biden administration. And of course the OECD is looking at ways to modernize the digital economy and digital taxation. So there's a lot of uh, interdependent changes that are happening potentially in the next year or two and we need to look at all that plan for those scenarios. And we do see leading CEOs very much planning around what those taxes might do to their balance sheets and income statements. And it's it's really top of mind for business leaders at this time.
4: Hey, Paul, this uh, new, kinder, gentler workplace where everybody gets to plan their own hours, work from home if they want to. Is this transitory like the Fed thinks inflation is? I I just wonder how much of this is because CEOs want to do this and how much of it is because they have to because of the labor shortages everywhere.
0: Becky, I think it's a little of both, to be honest with you. Employees have been working at home very effectively over the last 17, 18 months. And there's some real work-life harmony benefits to that. So what we need to do is calibrate to both what they need, and we're listening a lot to our employees as we try to design that hybrid environment for the future. And we, we also believe that we need to have them come together to collaborate and create ideas. And you know, we built a $430 million learning and development facility in Lake Nona, Florida, that we opened in January of 2020 and closed in March of 2020. But we recently reopened it and we're well, following CDC guidance And we're only allowing vaccinated employees at this time to that facility. But when they come back and create and learn at that facility, they really have reported, you know, really being excited about what we're doing to bring people back together. But there's no doubt there's gonna be a balance. So we have to be future ready. And I think that future we're still trying to design as we look at what employees want and what employers need and try to balance those two things in the future.
2: Uh, what kind of assumptions are, are uh, CEOs making about the business cycle, uh, interest rates? I mean, you know, we're not going to stay here forever, Paul. I mean, there there are some there are some troubling inflation. There's some troubling uh, headwinds, other headwinds on the horizon that that uh, I guess we've seen in the past. It's, it's not like a pandemic, but nonetheless, it could be it could be very uh, you know you need to deal with them.
0: You do. And as we go out into the future, you know, certainly there is the prospect for inflation. There inflations here today, obviously, but increasing interest rates is obviously of some concern into the future. But we do see leading CEOs modeling for all those possibilities. You know, there's a tremendous amount of liquidity in the markets today. Uh, There's, you know, by some reports, $1.5 trillion of investable cash in private equity funds that still needs to be invested which is reflected in that finding around the high M&A appetite and companies wanting to strategically transform their organizations through M&A and digitization into the future. So I do think CEOs are paying close attention to inflation. They are looking at actions they need to take to raise prices, increase wages. And obviously, they're looking out into the future as monetary and fiscal stimulus has created a really strong economy for us, we also need to think about longer term what that might do to interest rates.
2: Paul, thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, bringing us that, against that survey. And I said CFO. We, we had the CFO survey. That was the CNBC. This is a CEO survey. So we're, uh, we're, we're, we're getting it all covered here at some point, I think, in the, in the uh, corner offices. Anyway, who are we missing? HR, maybe. Uh, I'm sure that's coming up. How
4: about the employees? Um,
2: yeah, uh, the, the the valued employees. Worker I'm beans. feeling good as an. We're very valued now, according to Paul. We're you know we can ask for anything. I think Beck, what do you think? Good luck you with that. Or, you want a <laughs> McMuffin or something?
4: <laughs> I don't. I don't think there's a McDonald's around here. Probably not. Maybe one around the corner from you.
1: That's the show for today. Thank you for listening. As always. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear or you have a few suggestions for us, send us a tweet at Squawk CNBC.
2: All right, Becky Quick, we'll see you uh... See you tomorrow.
1: Yes, sir, uh, Joe right We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
0: We are clear. Thanks, guys. Thank you so
5: much. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery.